Hello there. This is Sean Connery. <laughs> the resemblance is uncanny. <laughs> Welcome to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Hello, welcome to an episode of Vertigo Voices. Hello there. This is Colby. This is Sophia. And we are watching LXG, the most extreme gentleman to ever be in a league. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that was actually the theme song that was just playing. It was just like on the title screen for the DVD. So I really like that music, but it's not actually in the movie. It's not in the movie? No. It was in the original teaser trailer. And they composed music, well, I assume that's composed for the teaser. I have no idea what that music's from. But they filmed footage. There's little flashes of footage in the background there, too. Um, they filmed footage just for the teaser and then used that music for it. Oh. And then none of that footage or that, like that scene right there of him putting his coat on, that's only in the teaser. Um, that scene of the bats forming Mia was only in the teaser. And uh, that scene, just a quick flash of, of uh, uh, Tom Sawyer fucking around with his gun was in the teaser. <laughs> All just lures to yeah. try and draw us in. Anyway, so uh, today we're watching League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, the 2003 film directed by Stephen Norrington, starring Sean Connery and Peter Wilson and Tony Curran and... Jason Fleming and Richard Roxburgh <laughs> and some other people. Oh, Nasir Din Shah, Stuart Townsend. This is just all off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> well done. No. <laughs> I was struggling to remember there for a moment. Did I, I say like... Shane West? That's Shane West. I... <laughs> you did say Shane West, yes. He plays uh, Tom Sawyer. <laughs> okay, uh, let's get the movie going. We're on the main menu screen of the DVD. And we're going to hit play in three, two, one, play. Now, it shows them all real quick. <laughs> Very saturated color. I don't remember the movie itself being so... Colorful? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a fair amount of color. It's not that much, but yeah. Uh, so this movie came out in 2003, and it was written by James Robinson. Do you know anything about James Robinson? I know nothing of him. He wrote the greatest comic book of all time. My favorite comic book of all time. Do you remember what that is? He wrote Hellblazer? No. <laughs> okay. Starman. Oh, Starman. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. My bad. <laughs> Star, I mean, Hellblazer is really good. I like that fade into the 20th Century Fox. That That's is cool. a good fade. Um, uh, Hellblazer is, or, I'm sorry, Starman is like the best A to B to C comic. Like it's... 70 issues is just one big story. Hellblazer has stops and starts and various creative teams, but James Robinson wrote all of Starman and from beginning to end, and it's a fucking gorgeous comic. But he wrote this movie too, so, you know, <laughs> we all have our ups and downs. <laughs> yeah, right. We can't all be successful at everything we try. <laughs> a new age dawns. I do like the opening to this. I mean, it's a cool... And this movie had just really expansive sets too like just huge sets i i like the exactly i like the world building that they did yeah. here hey don murphy the producer don murphy i've gotten into screaming arguments with him have you really <laughs> yeah i mean not like literally screaming but on uh, message boards <laughs> <laughs> oh hey wait a minute last time i told you i got in an argument with someone on a message board you were like is that really a productive use of your time? Yeah, Sophia? well, <laughs> this is 2003 I'm talking okay, about. Yeah, Jesus, right. not today. 
Christ. I've grown since then. <laughs> this movie was probably the first that I followed the production of, you know? Okay. This was kind of like the early days of real deep internet culture. Did I mention Peter Wilson? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> she plays Mina. Um, anyway, this was like the early days of real like deep internet culture. So this was the first movie that I was able to see like production stills of and like spy video and, you know, oh, wow. um, and, uh, oh, uh, this guy, Max Ryan, is playing a character named Dante. And everyone speculated that was going to be Dante Alighieri. And I was like, I think it's just a dude named Dante. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. Yeah. But, uh, and so because of that, he, Don Murphy, the producer, would, like, go into the IMDb message boards and just argue with people. Oh. And I got into a big argument with him over the character of Tom Sawyer. And he act, he doesn't call me by name, but he actually brings up the argument on the commentary for this movie. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay, now I must know, like, what, what was it about the character of Tom Sawyer? Well, first I... of all, Tom Sawyer's not in the book. No, he's not. Yeah. Also, what's, like, the defining time period of Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn and all that? Pre-Civil War. Yes, exactly. That, what, Civil War was what, 1860... 1860- was when it ended, yeah. I think. So yeah, 1860s-ish, yeah. let's say that. So Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn would have been kids in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. This movie specifically takes place in 1899. <laughs> yeah. Tom Sawyer is, what, 20, 25 in this? 25 max, yeah. you know. So he should be like a 50-year-old, you know, like, you know, uh, uh, he shouldn't be this young, yeah. strapping dude. <laughs> he should be the Alan Porter main. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And Don Murphy argued and argued about this by claiming that, well, this version of Tom Sawyer is based on uh, a book that, uh, what's his name, Um, Mark Twain wrote called Tom Sawyer Detective. And it was like a later adventure of Tom Sawyer's life. And it was written in the 1890s, and Tom Sawyer was like in his 20s. Like, okay, great, it was written in the 1890s or even if that's when it was, I can't remember exactly. Um, but that doesn't mean that that's when it was set, you fucking idiot. <laughs> no, no. And that's, that's just such bullshit. I mean, the only reason Tom Sawyer is in this movie is because they wanted an American. Yeah, they wanted a, a young, strapping, muscle-bound, um, you know, greased-up abs <laughs> um, American to point guns and shout slogans, you know? <laughs> Pretty much. Well, and I think... I think this came out before, around the same time as A Walk to Remember, which is, you know, your typical, you know, every every five years or so, Nicholas Sparks sacrifices a child and gets a movie made out of one of his books, and Shane West was in that, and so all high school girls, myself included to some extent, were like, oh my god, Shane West! It's so, a decent special effect, by it the way. Is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. All the special effects in this movie are good. It looks good. Yeah. Like, there's a lot in here um, that I think... It looks good for the most part. There's some scenes that haven't aged well. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine not. But it's... Um, I... You're up on the brink of war! <laughs> More German lies. Pretty sure that's not Kenya. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, so when this movie came out, like, I was a huge fan of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen novel, or graphic novels. I still am. Uh, and it's a series that's still going, by the way. Is it still? The last volume called The Tempest uh, was last year. Oh, very well then. Yeah. Uh, I haven't read the newest volume, though, but I've, I've read everything else. 
And uh, it's just a great, like, painfully dense series. The first volume is less so. It's just more you can follow the action. But the later series, like, it requires so much prior knowledge of antiquated historical or, or uh, antiquated fictional characters mm -hmm. <laughs> that it's almost unreadable. And that's what I love about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of gets a little bit in the weeds, but I think it's one of those, from, from what I've read, it's, if you're willing to sit with it, it's very reward, rewarding. Yeah. There's a guy named Jess Nevins who has a website just full of annotations for the novels or for the comics. And I uh, I love that. What, what I, every time a new volume comes out, I grab the volume, I go onto his website on my Kindle, and I just set them side by side and literally read the panel and then read what the references are in that panel back Excellent. and forth. And I love it. It takes me like hours to get through a single issue, but I fucking love it. And then, like I'm not committed to the series, and I love just I love the I love being forced to learn about stuff that I would have never dreamt of otherwise. That has its place. And there's, it is a lot of fun. There's uh, the incomparable David Hemmings as the imposter quartermain here. He's been in so much stuff. Like, I, I recognize his face. Right now, the only thing I can think of is is uh, he's like the MC in Gladiator. Yeah. Um, but I know he's been in a ton of other stuff. Yeah. He was in, was it Blowout? Is that the name of the movie? Blow Up? Cl Blow up? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe from like the 70s. And there's good old... Sean Connery. He's reading a copy of The Strand magazine there. Is he? Yeah, which was uh, where Sherlock Holmes was introduced. Oh, excellent. I like that. Toddle off. <laughs> Toddling. <laughs> uh, so when this movie came out, like I said, I was a huge fan of this comic, and I fucking hated this movie when it came out. <laughs> I was just, I was angry that it was this version of the story, that it was so, so far removed from the comic. Um, there was actually a lawsuit because it, um, was it, I want to say John Landis had written or was working, developing on or whatever, developing a script called Cast of Characters mm -hmm. in the mid to early 90s that was about historical characters coming together. Like, I think Alan Quartermain may have been in it, um, coming together to fight against Moriarty and Dorian Gray. And specifically, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, fucking the idiot, little kid. Uh, the detective, Tom Sawyer. <laughs> specifically, Tom Sawyer was in it, and Dorian Gray were in it, and they were on opposite sides. And they sued, and 20th Century Fox like fought the lawsuit, and they the lawsuit essentially accused Alan Moore of writing this his comic like as cover for the studio to then buy it. And uh, and then rip off the screenplay. And Alan Moore said that he had to give an eight-hour deposition explaining, you know, like, what the comedy... That was what got him to say, fuck Hollywood, I'm not working with you assholes anymore. Jesus. And that's why his name is no longer on any of his adaptations. And So people like to be like, oh, crazy old... Or cranky old Alan Moore doesn't like fucking Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. But he has a really good reason for not liking Hollywood. And I completely understand his anger and his reaction to that. Um... Obviously, in reality, his comic has nothing to do with cast of characters. And at the end of that lawsuit, 20th Century Fox settled. Really? So basically admitting guilt. Jeez. And, and, that, and his name is now always tied to that. <laughs> and, and just as a professional, he 
like he felt like that was just the ultimate betrayal because he felt like that that's true like they they wanted to do this screenplay but they didn't want to buy it so they bought this comic for cheaper and then used that basis to jam in this other screenplay (laughs) that is pretty low if that is the case exactly and and i mean who knows i mean sure it certainly sounds like that's what happened but i mean but i just i just feel bad for alan moore because he got fucked over by all this and um now he's angry (laughs) i don't blame him eight hour deposition yeah jeez yeah his quote was uh he would have he would have had less explaining to do had he crushed a bun full of or a bus full of nuns uh, into a, a ravine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like he'd be wrong on that front. So anyway, because of all of that, like I, just, I hated this movie when it came out. I hated that it was different than the comics. I hated all that, and uh, I was just angry about it. I've watched it since, and I actually, I actually like enjoy the hell out of it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, like we said earlier, um, I'm coming from the opposite side because I had never read The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. My friend Cedar and I were just super psyched because here is a movie that put all of these literary characters that we knew and loved together into an action film. And it wasn't until, oh, probably when I was in my early 20s that I finally read this. And I was like, oh, that is vastly different. (laughs) And I still have a soft spot for this in my heart. But there are some parts that haven't aged that well. And again, when you look at just your volume one, there's some narrative changes that it's like, well, you can tell the studio did it because, you know, the big star here is Sean yeah. Connery. And Yeah, so in the comics, Quartermain is uh, an old um, like opium fiend. Right. <laughs> Who has faked his own death so he can just smoke opium all day and, and like drift slowly into death and in this he's still like the he's the big hero and in the comic he's not the leader of the team it's mina Mm -hmm. and in fact alan moore said that he almost changed the title of the comic instead of league of extraordinary gentlemen he was going to call it league of extraordinary gentle folk because mina's the leader and he decided in the end to keep gentlemen he said because realistically in the 1890s they wouldn't have given a shit (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't matter if, if you're it could be a team of all women and one man and it would still be called gentlemen <laughs> exactly exactly so he yeah. said it just narratively it felt more realistic to call it gentlemen <laughs> mm-hmm. and i like how in the book to the the guy who's kind of pulling the strings is james bond what his great-grandfather or his grandfather oh yeah his, i think this is grandfather campion bond yes who was kind of a dick. Yeah, oh, he's a total dick. <laughs> In later volumes, James Bond shows up. Oh, does he? Um, but legally, they can't call him James Bond, so his name's Jimmy. Oh, there you <laughs> and go. And he works for British Secret Service, and he, uh, you can tell that there's a connection because he has Campion Bond's cigarette case. Ah. And in fact, that cigarette case shows up in this movie, but uh, not, obviously, since Campion Bond isn't in it, it's actually going to show up in about two minutes. Um, M has the cigarette case in the movie. When he's introduced, he's tapping it. <clears throat> okay, that's clever. But yeah, um, and in the comic, there's all the speculation that M is actually Mycroft Holmes. They bring it up quite a bit. And then in the end, it's revealed to be Moriarty, which is the same reveal here. But there's no dramatic weight to Moriarty being introduced in this movie. No. They don't explain who he is. <laughs> and they don't explain how Quartermain knows him. Quartermain's like, or should I say James Moriarty? <laughs> I'm like, what? What? Like, how did you get there? <laughs> 
point A to point B. Yeah. In yeah. the comic, they find out because the Invisible Man sneaks in and hears him saying his plan or whatever. Or is that? I can't remember. Whatever. I can't remember either. It's been a long time since I've watched this. Around the world in 80 days. <laughs> Phileas Fogg. <laughs> Phileas Fogg is, uh, they're actually doing a new adaptation of Around the World of 80 Days with David Tennant as Phileas Fogg. Oh, that should be interesting. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're about to meet M. Oh, Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> Rest in peace. Yeah, he just died a few weeks ago, huh? Yeah, I think, yeah. Either yeah. last week or the week before. Ripe old age of 90. Yeah. Wasn't this the movie that made him retire? Yeah, this movie sunk a lot of careers, <laughs> man. Uh, he and Stephen Norrington butted heads like crazy. They both hated each other. Stephen Norrington left Hollywood, and uh, Connery retired. And he didn't do any other... I mean, he did some voice roles here and there, but he didn't do any other live action. So from 2003 to 2019, he... <laughs> yeah. I think that what they tried to get him to... Cigar case. Ah, there it is. <laughs> that, well, and now that I've read the comic book, too, I, it would be nice to rewatch this and actually see the small little nods that they... Like right here. Here's all the nods. <laughs> it's like, right here, there's the past league portraits they show. There's... Fucking show it, goddammit. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Here Just M. There's one of the leagues, like the spider or the black spider, and um, maybe Robin Hood and Ivanhoe, I think, were the other two. Oh, yeah. And then right there, there's uh, Hawkeye Bumpo, uh, the Reverend Dr. Sin, um, Percy Blakeney, Scarlet Pimpernel, and I, there's another, I can't remember the other one. Is. Oh, Lemuel Gulliver. Oh, yeah. that's really cool. There's, oh, there's a Three Musketeers. Yeah, oh, there you are. And I don't know who that other one is. Maybe that one's Ivanhoe. I can't remember. <laughs> but uh, the, all those all those paintings are like big in the in the book as well. Like you you see them like up close. You get to pour over the references. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can't remember who's in that one. <clears throat> but yeah, uh, it's fun that they have the the past leagues in here at least. Okay, so the bad guy they call him the Phantom. Oh, very operatic. <laughs> but did you notice they spell it with an F? They do. Because it's a reference to Phantom. Poster oh, in my oh yes. <laughs> All right. Oh, um, the layers. <laughs> and in the comics, Fantoma actually shows up with, oh, I think it was in the 1920s or 30s. There's this French league called Le Homme Mysterieux. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they show up and have like a battle with the league. There's old Richard Roxburgh. He had, a, he had quite a run in Hollywood for a few years there. He was in this. He was in Van Helsing as Dracula. That's right. Um, he was in Mission Impossible 2 <laughs> as, like, the bad guy's sidekick. <laughs> oh, I totally forgot that. I remember him from you know, Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, someone's going to call me on this, but I think he's, like, the only actor to play both Moriarty and Sherlock Holmes. I think there's been others, I believe. I can't, I think, um, fuck, I think maybe Christopher Lee. Oh, he's done both? Maybe. I can't remember. I, I remember, like, reading that. There's, there's a couple, I think. Fuck. I don't know. Don't quote me. <laughs> <laughs> well, me neither. I'm not entirely sure. I really like this, too. One of the things I really like about the movie that they didn't change is Nemo. Yes. Um, he's played by Nasir Din Shah in this. 
And uh, in the original 20,000 uh, 20, Leagues Under the Sea, Nemo's nationality is, is not really addressed. But there is a scene in there where he meets um, an Indian diver or somebody who's stuck on a raft or something. And he talks about like the common bond between them or something. But then in the sequel series or the sequel novel, uh, The Mysterious Island, it's revealed that Nemo's real name is Prince Dakar and he's from India. And, uh, and I really like that they, that Alan Moore did that in the comic. I mean, obviously he looks exactly the same <laughs> between the comic and movie. And I really like that they kept that because it would be really easy to whitewash that character like has been done in every other adaptation. <laughs> yeah. James Mason. Yeah. Yeah. That is pretty cool that they did that. And I fucking love Tony Curran in this movie. He plays the Invisible Man. Okay, I was like, who does he play? So legally, he can't be the Invisible Man. He can't be the Invisible Man. Because <laughs> right. in the comic, it, the Invisible Man's name is Holly Griffin. Mm-hmm. In the original Wells novel, his name is just Griffin. And Alan Moore gave him the name Holly Griffin as kind of a reference to real-life murderer Holly Crippen. Um, so we call him Holly Griffin, but the name Griffin, I believe, is under copyright because of Universal, um, yeah. Invisible Man, Monsters, whatever. So they had to change his name from the Invisible Man, Holly Griffin, to an Invisible Man, Rodney Skinner. <laughs> <laughs> it's those tiny little words that matter. But I fucking love him in the role. I think he's great. I call it an automobile. <laughs> I fucking hate that. Here's one of the few lines that's right out of the comic, right here. Say it, you bastards. <laughs> it's coming, it's coming. It's my first mate. Call me Ishmael. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although that comes, that's in completely differently in the comic. In the comic, uh, Nemo is chatting with Ishmael and they're trying to work out some problem. And, and he's like, yes, yeah, so like, well, thank you for your help, first mate. And he's like, please, sir, call me Ishmael. You've known me long enough. <laughs> <laughs> nice little addition there. <laughs> I think this probably also killed... Pick for Wilson's... Peta Wilson? Peta. Peta. Um, her potential film career, because she was pretty hot at the time. She was in... Was it the TV? La Femme Nikita yeah. was a few years before this. Yeah, she... I mean, she hasn't really done much movie work. She was in Superman Returns. Well, she... This isn't her only comic book movie. <laughs> yeah. She uh, is on the airplane scene. She's like the person that's showing off their airplane that can fly to space or whatever. Oh. And then huh. Superman saves it. When Richard Branson crashes it. <laughs> Richard Branson's in that scene, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I totally missed out on that one. I, I love this part. I've barely two wives and many lovers. <laughs> and I'm in no mood for more of either. And then Skinner here. You can sit them my way if you like. <laughs> Skinner, shut up. <laughs> okay, I opened to the title page of the comic because right here... There's two references of the comic in this scene. We go to the East London Ducks. I believe this is Limehouse, but they don't ever call it that. Limehouse is where the is where the conclusion of the comics takes place for the first volume. So there's volcanoes on Mars, and then right there, that uh-huh. big poster is the same. Oh, awesome! But the volcanoes on Mars—that's a reference to the second volume, because in the second volume of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, they fight the Martians from War of the Worlds. That's right. Doesn't John Carter show up too? Yes, John Carter and. There's another character. Fuck. There's another like Martian fiction character shows up at the beginning of that one too. They don't interact with the actual league, but the first volume is all set, or the first issue of volume two is all set on Mars. Okay, yeah. 
That is a, uh, again, a good nod. A nice add-in. You can tell they were paying attention to some of the details. You know, so they knock the door and he's like right there. Yeah. But then when you see his house, it's fucking huge. <laughs> like, so is he just like, any second now, they'll come a-knocking. <laughs> Although, who knows, because he's supposed to be the duplicitous bad guy, and they use him. So if M's plan is to take the powers of the League, that's another thing about this movie. The logic makes no fucking sense. It's just a dumb action movie. It's like a Michael Bay movie with wigs and beards. <laughs> <laughs> and bustles. Yeah. But, um, so if their power is like, or if his plan is to take the power of the League... He already has Dorian Gray on his side, who is fucking immortal, who can't be killed. Like, do you need anything else? Right, <laughs> right. Like, yeah, Alan Quartermain is is cool, but he's you know an an aging human. <laughs> Plot point here. So they say, "Oh, you're missing a painting, Mister Gray." Oh. Implied that it's his painting, and then later in the movie, he talks about how he can't see, he can't look at the painting, or else he'll die. Mm-hmm. So then, why would he just hang it on his wall? Right. So does he have to close his eyes every time he walks by? Okay, look at that, it'll die. Also, <laughs> the literary nerd in me here is going to pipe up because if he can't see his own painting, that completely diminishes the entire point of the story, a picture of Dorian Gray. The whole point is that he looks at the painting and he sees what he's become right. in it. Mm-hmm. He's forced to confront that every time he looks at it. Right, exactly. Yeah, he's a great-looking guy in day-to-day life, but he looks at his painting, and it's just... He's turning into a monstrosity, basically. Sorry, makers of this movie, but do you think you're better than Oscar fucking Wilde? Because you're not! <laughs> never! Should <laughs> Africa would never allow me to die. So the comics has a similar plot point with him, like... Because you know at the end of this, it's implied that he comes back to life. Spoiler alert! Um... <laughs> Uh, in the comics, it's similar to that in that he and Mina find um, the Fountain of Youth. Mm-hmm. And so then he retains his, he gets young again. And okay. he pretends to be Alan Quartermain Jr. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Okay. All right. How many years ago at Eaton College? Yeah, you're going to hear a lot of Sean Connery impressions in this one, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> well, just so much fun to do. <laughs> um, also, I would highly recommend buying this DVD just to listen to the commentaries. Because mm-hmm. it has a few different commentaries. There's a really good one that's the cast commentary. And unfortunately, it cuts back and forth between cast members. They're not all there together. Uh-huh. But um, Jason Fleming and Tony Curran are together. And hearing them talk about the making of this movie is fucking hilarious. Is it? Like, they, they, they must have had just the best fucking time hanging out together. But then, like, talking... Like, Tony Curran has a story about golfing with Sean Connery... And he, like, he does a really good Sean Connery impression. And he's complaining because Sean Connery, thought Sean Connery tried to steal his ball. And he's like, he's like, no, Sean, I'm playing a Titleist. This is my ball. It's not yours. He's like, pick up the ball, boy, and look at it. And he's like, he's like, I picked it up. And sure enough, on the side, you know what he has printed? 007. That's brilliant. Yeah, okay, Sean, it's your fucking ball, okay? (laughs) All right. Worth it for just the commentary alone. And then there's there's a whole bit where they talk about being on the, one of the red carpets and being interviewed. And this person was like, was like, uh, hey, if you could each be a member of the league, what would it be? And he said that Tony Curran said that he was like half paying attention. And he was like, what? And like, if you could be any member of the league or have any of the league's powers, who would it be? And he said that Jason Fleming was like, 
uh, I would like to be invisible, because that way I could run very fast and no one could see me. And then they get to Tony Curran, and he's like, I find something very sexual about blood. I think I'd like to be a vampire and just kind of you know, tear into throats and just <laughs> just feel the arousal of blood dripping down my throat. <laughs> and he said, and the guy was like, okay. He's like, and then afterwards, uh, um... Jason Plum was like, "What the fuck were you doing?" He's like, "What?" He asked me. He's like, "That was that was fucking Disney Channel." <laughs> <laughs> oh, the commentary sounds better than the actual movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, you gotta try and <laughs> and make your your best go of it. <clears throat> I love uh, so like they're all shooting here, and then there's just endless amounts of of book pages raining down from the sky. Right. Like, they haven't shot that much to <laughs> shred the entire fucking library. It's like a ticker tape parade. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I totally forgot to mention a minute ago, when they introduce Connery, um, that trailer I was telling you about that had, like, the new footage film for it, uh-huh. it opens with Sanderson Reed sitting down with, with Quartermain and saying, like, we're on the brink of world war. And Quartermain goes, and that notion makes you sweat. <laughs> and he goes... Heavens, man, doesn't it you? And he goes, this is Africa, boy. Shredding is what we do. <laughs> and then, like, and I remember seeing that trailer and being like, that's what they filmed. That's not going to be in the movie. That's a stupid fucking line. That's, there's no way that's going to be in the movie. And then the movie comes out like, oh, God, they put that in. Oh, God, no, don't do that. <laughs> that was the one thing from the trailer they left. <laughs> yeah. Um. There's Dante. He says, run, James. Get your first hint that that's James Moriarty. Doing his fucking haymakers. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, I... <laughs> well, now that you just said that, because again, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, and yeah, I'm like, run, James! It's like, what? 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 <laughs> it's just an obvious, like, oh, I wonder where they put that in. Like, I, I, yeah. Who could but, be? <laughs> again, there's no connection, though. Sherlock Holmes isn't in this. No. Um, I understand, I mean, Moriarty's a great literary villain, so I totally understand using him, but... There should have been some connection to the other characters. Right. Or just a line. Oh, you, James Moriarty? You mean Sherlock Holmes' nemesis? Because the only thing they say is, Quartermain reveals, like, oh, James Moriarty? And he's like, he goes, that man died at Reichenbach Falls. Like, yeah, uh, then why are you here then? Like, again, please explain. <laughs> the comic book, when they reveal it's Moriarty, there's a whole flashback. Where it shows the battle at Reichenbach Falls. Um, I don't know where that is. Where are you at? I don't know. Fuck, I can't find it. But anyway, it shows the battle of Reichenbach Falls. You see uh, Moriarty fall to his death and then survive. And then it's implied that he has his sniper, Sebastian Moran, kill uh, Sherlock. The connection right is here. there. There yeah. it is. Yeah. So they actually show the scene. So like they have their little back and forth. Sherlock's even fucking in it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and it's implied that Sherlock's a member of the league. Aha! That little logo. Of the, yes. The mysterious man. Um, you see him fall. I just love when he when he falls. God. <laughs> <laughs> may God strike you. May God. May God rip your bowels out. You. Sodomitic, drug addicted, uh, uh, God. He's <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of screwed up. <laughs> but yeah, just like, a, just even a brief moment like that, if they had that in here, be like, oh, okay. But, um. Yeah, and well, that's another thing. The, the whole purpose, <coughs> or the whole 
inciting incident is completely different in both too. In this, they're trying to stop stop World War One a few years before it happens. Like, who cares? <laughs> it's going to happen anyway. Right. <laughs> the timeline is a little wonky. Yeah, but in the comic, it's all about um, Moriarty getting into like a turf war with the Devil Doctor. Quotes that's supposed to be Fu Manchu. But legally, they can't say that, so they just call him the Devil Doctor. And it's about them having, like, a turf war trying to destroy London. And uh, Moriarty finds this element called Cavorite from First Men on the Moon, First Men on the Moon, whatever, that story about Professor Cavor going to the moon. Um, <clears throat> and he uses that. Like, that's like the MacGuffin. They're all trying to get the Cavorite because he can create flying ships with it. None of that's in the movie. <laughs> and, again, and that's another thing that Don Murphy... Fucking piece of shit, Don Murphy. <laughs> Calling you out, Don. Um, he was like, he actually, like, he fucking slagged off the comic by saying, like, yeah, the movie's about, about World War. Like, that's a way bigger stakes than some stupid rock. He's like, fuck you, you piece of fucking shit. There's a reason why Quentin Tarantino tried to strangle you. Did he? Yes. <laughs> okay, well, now you have to tell me that story. I don't know, I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they got into some argument and Tarantino like choked him and so then he sued Tarantino. Oh, it's like early 90s. Well, apparently Mr. Murphy has a penchant for that. For pissing people off, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks like one of those guys. He looks like one of those guys that's like, like you think you're a lot cooler than you are, you fat shit. <laughs> uh, well, most, most of us do, uh, but then there are some people who just totally wear it on their sleeve. <laughs> He, he looks like one of those, like, troglodytes living in his mom's basement, typing away on the internet. It's not like a good picture from 2003. There he is. Well, hi, Don. That's him, like, more today, though. I want to see, like... Because he, he had, like... He had, like, a, like this. Look at that. He was looking at a, like, teenage haircut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Well, and the... Again, the idea that that's higher stakes. It's like... No, it's not. There's really no stakes in this movie. Like, just because, like, uh, again, World War, like, how many times has that yeah. been used in action movies? Like, oh, we have to prevent, you know? <laughs> it's been so overused. <laughs> they had a sequel in real life. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which went totally over yeah. budget. Yeah, exactly. World War II. You <laughs> thought the last one was bad. Well, guess what? This time there's genocide. Right. It's like, oh, whoa, stop, stop. <laughs> Turn it down a little bit. Um, and just, like, again, like, it's ex it's exciting to see these literary characters come to life on the screen, but... Sorry. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, what's his name? Uh, they're introducing the, the, Nautilus, the Nautilus. And what's his name? Uh, little Tom Sawyer goes, is it a boat? And he goes, it travels on the water, if that's what you mean. And beneath it. But... Literally speaking, um, ships aren't called boats. Only submarines are. <laughs> so he's actually correct. Completely correct in calling it a boat. <laughs> and look at how fucking big that is. Jesus God, it's like the fucking Titanic. It is. It's ridiculous. It is. And the design is just so modern and weird. I don't like that. <laughs> Paris. Like, next stop, Paris. Paris! <laughs> It looks almost exactly like London, except there's the Eiffel Tower right there. Here's another reference to the comics where he says a big monkey. Mm -hmm. This big monkey has terrorized the Rue Morgue for months. Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. yeah. In the comic, they actually, so they go to find him, 
and they talk to C. Auguste Dupin, or Dupont, however you pronounce his name. The, uh, that's the detective who uh, solved the murders of the Room Lord. And they say something like, oh, yeah, there's, there's a series of murders now. Like, it's like people, it looks like they've been torn apart by an animal. And Dupont is like, uh, he says something like, yeah, I've, I solved a case kind of like that a few years ago. Turns out it was just a fucking monkey with a razor blade, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really not one of Poe's strongest for me. <laughs> <clears throat> I fucking love that. I love that idea that it's not, like, there's not some uh, big grand scheme. Like, it's, it's just random chaos. <laughs> a monkey with a razor blade. That is fucking brilliant. <laughs> so rarely in life is that the case. Like, the, terrible things happen just because, because the, or the universe is random and doesn't care about us. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But I don't know. Monkey with, you know, there, there have been worse plot lines, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> hey, we're still talking about it 200 years, 150 years later, however long. Huh. Well, <clears> and, <throat> and we're actually watching something with the worst plot line right now. Yeah, so. that's true. <laughs> ah, I fucking love Jason Fleming. And I really, cool. I really like the design of Hyde. I think um, the plot of Hyde or whatever, the, the I don't know, it completely falls down. <laughs> like, they don't, they, he's still using the serum, which is dumb. Because even at the end of Je- Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, he's already evolved to the point where he doesn't need the serum to change. Right, yeah. There's a giant hat he made himself. <laughs> <laughs> like you do. But, um, th- and that's kind of, again, one of these things that this movie never capitalizes on. Hunch too dangerous for what? Is that they kind of build up these... I guess, side narratives for these characters, like for Edward Hyde, like he's supposed to be so conflicted that he's yeah. this monster and it never really goes anywhere. Yeah. Well, it goes, it, it there is a payoff for it in that he's able to like work together. Like, uh, what's his name? Um, Jekyll accepts Hyde at the end. Yeah. There's that scene where he sees himself in the reflection and he goes, bravo, Eddie! <laughs> <laughs> and so like, that's the point, but that's fucking dumb. Because Edward Hyde is, is not supposed to be um, uh, it's not supposed to be salvageable, you know. Mm-hmm. In the comic, the only way he finds redemption is by letting himself get killed. Like he, he sacrifices himself to save the league, and that's his only. This is the only possible way to gain any any sort of redemption. Well, in the comic book too, from what I remember, correct me if I'm wrong. It's like it's kind of fascinating in that he is the only character who knows himself 100% and he accepts what he is and he has there are times when he has a better grasp of the situation than the other characters yeah for sure yeah and he's he's blindingly clever but doesn't let on yes and that's again like you don't have to do that here but again this is a trope that you see all the like this is basically the Hulk yeah oh it's totally the Hulk (laughs) and that's fine because that's what the comic is too but the comic there's way more layering there's way more evolution for the character and in this, he's like the lovable oaf, you know, like, he's bad, but maybe if we just really speak to his humanity, he'll be good. <laughs> well, in the comic, he's bad as shit, man. Even when he's doing good, he's still fucking terrible. <laughs> have you ever, have you ever read the second volume? I have not. Have you, do you know anything about the end of The Invisible Man? The, the actual ending? No, in the, the, the end of the character. Oh, the end of the character. <laughs> he, he, Hyde kills him, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, it's more than that. <laughs> Does he dismember him? Most? It's uh, so okay. So in the movie, the Invisible Man is like painfully heroic. Mm-hmm. 
one of those like, oh, he's the thief that saves the day in the end. In the comic, the first vault or in the first issue that the league encounters the Martians, the Invisible Man's like, we're not going to win this. <laughs> and uh, he, the first chance he gets, he goes over and sides with the Martians mm-hmm. and teaches them how to get past the defenses of Earth and get through like the River Thames so that the um, the League can't uh, take the Nautilus through there. And in the first volume, it's established that Hyde can see the Invisible Man um, because he uh, like I there. That part. Oh, okay. There's a scene where he sees him in like predator vision, uh-huh. and he's like, uh, "Griffin's is like, oh, we have to move quickly. You, you started a fire. Oh, I can see that, Mister Griffin. I'm not blind, you know." He goes, "What? What? What are you looking at? You're me? Nothing." <laughs> and uh, then in volume two, after it's revealed that the Invisible Man betrays the League, um, he gets caught by Mina, like stealing shit from the museum, and so he just beats the shit out of her and like smacks her face on the ground. And then I think she like I think she pisses herself and like rubs her face in it. And he's like, "You're a dirty little piggy, aren't you?" <laughs> and Hyde, who has become fond of Mina, like she's like the only one that can connect with him or whatever, because they're both outcasts from society. You know, she's the the tainted divorced woman, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, who had a scandalous encounter with a foreigner. Yes. <laughs> and, and and so they're both outcasts, so they kind of form a friendship. So when he sees what happens to Mina, Hyde just freaks out. And it, there's a scene where he like goes into the the museum and he like locks the door behind him and he sits down. And it's just like this quiet scene of him sitting down alone. And he goes, he's like, <laughs> you're thinking if I'm really still, he won't know I'm here. Now you're thinking he's bluffing. And he goes, but I assure you, Griffin, I'm not bluffing. I can see you. I've always been able to see you. And then it cuts to Hyde's vision and it shows Griffin like against the wall. And he goes, that, that's not fair. <laughs> and, and then he, uh, like he shows him like grab onto him and he's like, it's like, oh, I guess you won't be needing this anymore. I'm like crack. And then Griffin's like, ah, and then uh, he, he's like, you know, you shouldn't have done that to Miss Murray. Like she was, she was a good person and all that. And he, you see him like throw him over a table and he's like, look at that view. He's like, it's pretty lovely, isn't it? Uh, Griffin He's like, in fact, I dare say, might find it a bit romantic. <laughs> and then he's like, no, no, stop, stop. And then it cuts away. And then uh, it shows, um, what's his name? Uh, Nemo having dinner with Hyde. And Hyde's telling his whole story about how, or why Jekyll created him and why they are the way they are. And as he's talking, it's like this one shot of just him sitting there. And as he's sitting slowly, like blood starts to appear on his shirt. And then it like just coats the shirt and coats the table and everything. And the uh, what's his name? Uh, Nemo was like, like, hide. You're you're bleeding. He's like, what? Oh no, no, that's not my blood. That's Griffin's. And he's like, what? What do you mean? He's like, well, I suppose that means he's expired now. And then you see Nemo like run out of the room, and like in the background while Hyde's talking, you see him run out of the room and then run back in with his sword out. And he's like, Hyde, what the hell did you do? <laughs> Oh my, that leaves a lot to the imagination, heavily implied. Yeah, I mean, just like, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, mauling and rape and, oh yeah, I think he eats some of him as well, I can't remember. But uh, yeah, it's just like an atrocious ending for this despicable character, but but it's done very tastefully. All right, all right, revenge is sweet. Well, I know, like, you know, and here the Invisible Man is portrayed to be as kind of like a lovable rogue. Yeah, he's like a gentleman thief. Yes, 
But like in the comic book, like he is straight up going through girls' schools, like molesting. Yeah. No, that's like raping. I mean, yeah. I think they say that there's there's three girls from the school that become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Miss Coots, uh, like school for wayward wayward girls or whatever. And that character is actually a character from from like it was like a French pornographic character or something. It's like Eliza Coot or something like that. Or I can't remember. But uh, yeah, that yeah, exactly. He's just a, an atrociously unlikable character in the comic. Yeah, not a good human being. Which is why I fucking loved him. I loved him. He's such a fucking just despicable bad guy. <laughs> and I like that they kept the grease paint too. That is a nice touch. The grease paint in the comic. Yeah. Rosa Coot. That was her name. Rosa Coot. Well, you know, I'm not up on my. Um, French pornography, unfortunately. <laughs> Just Nevins, man. <laughs> Read the Just Nevins annotations. Okay. It'll get you there. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I was going to say something else about the Invisible Man, but I don't know. Yeah, he's just like a sociopath, and I, I love how, how the comic lets him be just a cruel bad guy. There's a point in the first volume where he beats a police officer to death with a, with a brick just so he can take his coat because he's cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's very much, I mean, I haven't read the book in a long time, but it's very much in line with the book. Yeah. I mean, because he was a bastard in the book, yeah. in the original book. Old tiger shinching the end. The most fierce. Hmm? Your Scottish accent was too thick. I didn't understand yeah. what you said. <laughs> Tone it down, Sean. <laughs> I do like, though, that like in the inside of Nemo's sub, they have... Like, the the detail is really good on the set. Yeah, it's fucking huge, though. It is. It way is. too big. I've been to Venice, okay? There's <laughs> no way this fucking ship could go anywhere near Venice. It would sink the city of Venice. Yeah. I could just take out the foundation. Yeah. And, I mean, just the law of buoyancy, if you have that much of the ship above water, then there has to be, what, like, like double that amount below the water or something? Something like that, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not a fucking scientists but uh but regardless there's like there's no way that thing could float and be as big as it is and go to venice <laughs> it is a palatial palace it's like a cruise ship yeah. yeah again it's a cool design but the design in the comic is so much better because it actually looks like a chambered nautilus mm-hmm. it looks yeah it looks more like a submarine well yeah it looks like a submarine but it also literally looks like a nautilus mm-hmm. the, the creature yeah the um now, was that from the book, too? Is it... In the original book, there's no real pinned-down design of what it looks like. Um, there are some artists from, like, contemporary of the time that did versions of it, and everyone kind of has their favorite. I think most people think of the Disney James Mason, um, Peter Lorre, uh, what's his name, Kirk Douglas version. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I love the way it looks in the league, in the, in the comic, because it, again, it looks like a chambered Nautilus, and it has, like, tentacles that it can use to grab stuff, and, and, it, and it's, it looks like a submarine. It does. <laughs> Not so ostentatious. Yeah. Yeah, again, it looks like, you know, Titanic 2, electric boogaloo. <laughs> so, yeah, the whole part about the son-in-law, I totally forgot about this. Yeah. They even bring up his son-in-law's name. Like, does he tie his into his son? Why do you say son-in-law? I thought you just said that. no. His son. <laughs> um, Excuse me. Uh, I I think in the comic or not in the comic. I think in just the novels, he's had. I know he's had a couple of wives and probably some kids, but in, it's never brought up in the comic at all. 
Um, but in like the King Solomon's Mines and those related sequels, he probably had some wives and kids, but it's never been that important. Yeah. This is just to shoehorn in that father-son mentor relationship. Yeah. Alan Quartermain's an interesting character just in general because I had no idea who the fuck he was before I read the comic mm-hmm. when I was probably a freshman in college or whatever. But um, it's actually a character that has some pedigree with acting as well. Like, you know, Sean Connery plays him. Patrick Swayze played him in a movie. Oh, I did not know that. Um, Richard Chamberlain played him in a couple movies in the 80s that were like direct uh, reactions to the Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Indiana Jones movies. Uh Because those movies completely rip off Alan Quartermain. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you can't have Indiana Jones without Alan Quartermain. So, I, I don't know, maybe it was Canon or some other studio ripped off uh, Indiana Jones by making a series of Alan Quartermain movies. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. He's a, he's a blueprint, definitely. Yeah. Too soon. But that was bloody close. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Chilau? Is that what he said? Chilau! <laughs> <laughs> it's weird that they... Didn't translate or anything. Oh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> teach your son to shoot like this. Hey, way to read the room, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's just, it's more, uh, more, I guess, narrative devices that never come to fruition because, right, the whole idea was to have a sequel from this. Oh, yeah. And Shane West would kind of step into... <laughs> It's kind of like the early layout for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One thing that, did you just notice uh, when he was standing there alone, you could see behind him? Um, one of the costume elements I liked about uh, Sawyer is that he's wearing suspenders, but they're never on. They're always slung down. Mm-hmm. And they said that they designed that to be a suggestion of overall. Like the like you know the little kid Tom Sawyer always wearing overalls. So as an adult, he's wearing the suspenders like slung down, like their overalls hanging down. Okay, all right, that is a nice little touch. Also, there's a deleted scene where he talks about why he's on the Phantom's trail. Mm-hmm. He said like ah, I've been with the Secret Service and I've been working with my like my site or my partner and I were getting close to him, but the uh, the Phantom killed my partner and I'm gonna avenge Agent Huck Finn if it kills me. Uh-huh. But the fact that they didn't put that in, I think, is better because now he might not necessarily be Tom Sawyer. He could be Tom Sawyer Jr., which would fit with the with the timeline. The timeline with the period. Yeah, Tom Sawyer is many things, but Victorian, he's not. Yeah, this scene too. So uh, I read the novelization of this book, which of this movie, which is slightly better than the movie. But this scene right here, where he tricks her to get her blood mm-hmm. by giving her that uh, alcohol. He gives her like a little flask, he pours it into a little glass shot, and when she grabs it, he smashes it in her hand. Oh, yeah. So then like the bloodlust takes over or whatever so he can get some vampire blood. But in the novelization, when he talks about it, he's like, you really must try this. It's uh, uh, like a great um, vintage uh, Amontillado. I found it bricked up. Uh, I found a cask of it bricked up in uh, like a, the tunnels of Venice years ago. <laughs> Cask of... Cask of Amontillado. Amontillado, yes. The Edgar Allan Poe story. Yes. I, have, oh, I get self-conscious about Amontillado. I can never pronounce it. 
I'm like, Amatildo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's, again, that's a sharp little addition that I really like. Yeah, exactly. And the fun, I wish there was more of that in the actual movie, but again, that was in the, the comic, I mean, the novelization. Like, oh, I must not look at the painting. Then why did you have it on your wall? <laughs> Dumb dick. Yeah, yeah. I can barely trust myself to remember my keys. If I was in that position, I would look at that damn painting all the time. Like, oh, shit. You know? <laughs> There's the Amontillado I was talking about. So tasty. What is that? Is it brandy? Like, what is... That's an excellent question. I'm going to have to close my... Um... Oh, it's a type of wine. Um, <laughs> to close my... Uh page that had pictures of Don Murphy up. Alas. Piece of shit. <laughs> it's a sherry wine. Hmm. And the Mondeando. Fun to cook with, not fun to drink, at least from my experience. It's characterized by its nutty aromas, tobacco, aromatic herbs, and often ethereal polished notes of oak. Ethereal polished? It's got some ethereal oak in it. What the <laughs> fuck? Like, who wrote this... This is Wikipedia. This shouldn't be flowery like that. It should be like a research paper. <laughs> See, I want a job writing descriptors for wine. It's quite ethereal. <laughs> you can make up all sorts of shit and, as long as you make it sound delicious. So <laughs> look at me! Jason Fleming. He is such a... He's been in so much stuff and everything he's in, like, he's fantastic. Yeah. That actually reminds me... Um, Going back to Jason Fleming and Tony Curran. Tony Curran has been in multiple Marvel continuities. Really? Yeah. First movie I saw him in was Blade Two. Oh. I played Priest, a member of the Blood Pack. He was like an Irish vampire in that. Um, then he was in X-Men First Class as just a uh, Secret Service guard who gets killed by Sebastian Shaw. Um, so that's, Blade was like, I think, New Line, but a Marvel movie. Um, <clears throat> X-Men was Fox, Marvel movie. Then he was in the Marvel Cinematic Universe proper as Odin's father in the second Thor movie. Oh. I can't remember that character's name. Um, and then he was in Pun the Punisher, no, Daredevil TV series as this character from the comic whose name I can't remember. So that's like the... Marvel Netflix universe. He gets around. Yeah. He's a really good actor. I've seen him in a lot of shit over the years, and I really like him. I mean, like Jason Fleming as well. I'm trying to think, because now that we're talking about him, I, was, I, I know I've seen him, like, I've probably seen him in Daredevil and Blade 2. I just didn't know it was him. Yeah. So now I kind of want to go back and rediscover. Venice. Right, here we go, ready? That's not possible. <laughs> Physics dictates. <laughs> Even the Grand Canal, it wouldn't fit through that. Man. Oh, no. Like, and definitely none of these fucking back streets. Right. Yeah, that poor guy in his gondola would just be like, yeah. would just be completely just total. Smeared onto the side of the, <laughs> the, the, the side of a building. Right. Uh, tearing up streets and buildings. And... <laughs> the city would sink that much faster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Seems a little disproportionate. You're going to show the lady in the raincoat from Don't Look Now? <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be a great crossover. 
Donald Sutherland like stumbles out a window. Yeah, yeah uh, I guess. Okay, that's a bad CGI. Yeah. I'm sorry. Where do you see the bombs? <laughs> right here. <clears throat> Makes the city look so much bigger than it is. <laughs> oh yeah, wait for it. They're all ticking little little ticking clocks here. <laughs> <laughs> because the the average movie going audience ticking grows louder <laughs> the average movie going audience is too stupid to realize like hey that must be explosives it's not explosives without a ticking sound woman speaking Italian woman man laugh I've been there <laughs> I've, I've actually been there I've not been to this set because <laughs> they didn't film there no um one of the things the movie never addresses is, so they, they go to Venice because there's like a peace talk between world leaders. Mm-hmm. Is that real? I think I think they insinuate that it didn't really happen. Yeah. But... In, the, in the novelization, it does happen. And like the peace talks go on while the city's being destroyed. And like the leaders of like Germany, England, and like Russia or something are stuck in a bunker together and like have to hash out peace on their own <laughs> while the city's being destroyed around them. <clears throat> But no, I think you're right. I think it only comes up once in the movie and then it's never addressed again. It's helmet pieces, like the windows look like TIE fighter windows. I didn't notice, do they? I don't know. They look like it to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, again, like, I, I don't want to bash on the sets too much because there are some shots in here I think that, oh yeah, they, they did a pretty good faithful adaptation of the comic book but like all of these like london paris venice they're all shot at night yeah. and they have very little to distinguish them from one another yeah. except oh there's water and cobblestone streets yeah <laughs> look at those explosions god it looks dumb uh but i mean yeah i mean that was i guess that was the time um you know like victorian victorian architecture and uh there's not going to be a whole lot of variation in places. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, and it doesn't have to be, but, like, yeah. it's more the color palette to me. Yeah. Like, all all the action scenes are at night. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, like, you said, like... That's so uh, stupid. <laughs> fire a rocket and blow up a building before the other buildings blow up. Which will somehow stop the damage of the My dominoes. <laughs> because why not? I'm an immortal, not a gazelle. <laughs> Here's my favorite line in the movie, though. And this is oft repeated between myself and my friend Bear. When, God, fucking, and now he knows how to race car drive. Right. Why would he say care for a spin? That's not a thing. <laughs> right, come on, Jekyll, get in. Uh, you track this thing? Okay, of course. Uh, go back to Jekyll. Launch when you see the flare. Come on, Jekyll, we'll need Hyde. No, Hyde will never use me again. Right here. All right. Then what good are you? <laughs> and then he just stares at them while they drive away. <laughs> just needling him. Stuart Townsend is obviously having a yeah. blast in this role. So he, uh, the character of uh, Dorian Gray was, wasn't in the novel or the comic. Mm-hmm. But Dorian Gray is typically described as being blonde and youthful. And he doesn't look anything like that description in this. No. Do you know why? There's actually a reason for this. Oh, do tell. It was a fuck-up. On the cover of the first volume comic book, 
Dorian Gray. There's, there is the picture of Dorian Gray there. Uh-huh. That's Dorian Gray. Yep. So somebody, like one of the costumers or whatever, was given the, the comic and said, base it on Dorian Gray on the cover. It's in one of the pictures. So the person saw that and assumed that Varney the Vampire there was Dorian Gray. <laughs> okay, that's a pretty good mess up, though. <laughs> I like that. So yeah, Varney the Vampire is... And realistically, I mean, they probably have about the same powers. It could be Varney the Vampire. <laughs> Except that they call him Dorian Gray. <laughs> <laughs> Not too much of a difference. <laughs> These men are mine! Yeah, uh, Mina does not have any powers in the comic. Mm-hmm. Because after Dracula dies, she doesn't have her powers in Right, right. Yeah, she's if she even had any powers. I don't think she has any in the novels. She's just weak. I can't think of any. But, um, yeah, in this, she's just a fucking vampire. Look, there's like a million dudes on the roofs with guns. How are there so many people? How do they get around so yeah, fast? It's such a dumb movie. It's <laughs> fucking fun. <laughs> um... In the comic, she doesn't have any powers. She's just a smart, uh, resourceful person, which is why she's a leader. She's a tactician, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in volume two, they show her neck. So she always has a red scarf around her neck in the comic. And in this, she does when she's Mina, not Vampire Lady. But one of the first things she does is show off her neck in this and see the two puncture marks. Well, in the comic, Alan Moore decided that if a vampire were to actually feed, it probably wouldn't be like that. They would probably be more like an actual vampire bat in that they, the way vampire bats feed is they scrape the skin and then lap up the blood. Ouch. So when she shows off her neck in the comic, it's just a giant scarred up mess. And that's why she always has the, the red scarf like all the way around her neck. Mm-hmm. There's a really uncomfortable sex scene in volume two where, because like Quartermain falls in love with her and they end up having a relationship and his old frail body is all scarred up and she's like, no, I'm ashamed of my scars. And he's like, no, it's fine. And he like takes her scarf off and starts licking her neck. <laughs> and he's like, I don't, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Like you do, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, that's kind of one of the, uh, well, just a, a neat storytelling aspect in the first volume is that like basically she's, in that time period, she's a ruined woman. Like you said, she's yeah. a divorcee. And like I think even uh, Campion Bond like, hints at the idea because yeah. he's a dick. He's like, well, you know, he violated by a foreigner. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you might have liked it type yes, of deal. Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that just sound, that does sound like a lot. <laughs> like someone chewing on your neck yeah. as opposed to, you know, the sexy, yeah. <laughs> sexy hypodermics. I don't know. <laughs> She's a really, really cool character in the comic. And one of the few that stays with the League for centuries. Yeah, isn't there like a 1969 League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? So the third volume... So, okay, the first volume is in 1898. Second volume is shortly thereafter. Then there's a um, like a f- mini-quote volume called The Black Dossier, that's set in 1948. And then there's a volume called Century that is three parts. Volume one, or part one, rather, is 1909. Volume, or, part two is 1969. And then part three is 2009. Uh-huh. And Mina and, and, uh, Mina and Alan are in all of those. They're like the only League members to carry over. 
because they go through the fountain of youth and stay young forever. But then Alan ends up. So do you know anything about Century? Do you know who they face in that one? I don't, do tell. So <laughs> 1969, they're trying to stop Oliver Haddo, who is Aleister Crowley's character from Moon Moonchild. Okay. And <laughs> his spirit goes off into the ether and it's trying to find a host body. And there's a scene where they're at kind of Woodstock, but it's the person playing is Mick Jagger's character from the movie Performance. Which I have not seen. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> um, and Mina, I think it's Mina, meets this guy there. And she's, she asks him what his name is. And he goes, oh, like, I'm, I'm going to be a professor at this school. He goes, my first name is Thomas. But my last name is a mystery. Tom Riddle. <laughs> <laughs> Oliver Haddo gets into his body. Um, so that turns him into Voldemort or whatever. Um, <laughs> then in the 2009, they actually fucking fight Harry Potter. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Harry Potter is like the Antichrist. He's the, the moon child or whatever that... Um, and they, there's actually, there's a fucking like magical school shooting at Hogwarts. This sounds fantastic. Yeah. And, and again, none of this, they can't actually say any of this. So it's just <laughs> like, it's, oh, it's this weird wizard school. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and they can't, they can't call him Harry Potter, but it is. And then Harry, like, um, Alan gets the upper hand, but then Harry Potter kills Alan. And then they finally have to call upon, uh, Mary Poppins to come down from the, like, heaven basically and smite him <laughs> like the deus ex machina is mary, mary poppins, poppins coming in from the blazing world to yes. stop harry potter yeah <laughs> that sounds better than any revamping of the story that jk rowling has done online exactly. <laughs> oh ah you did there he is of it. throw the knife in his back <laughs> ow <laughs> really hurt he does so he just threw a knife at a fleeing man's back then he kills uh moriarty by shooting him in the back (laughs) (laughs) very unsportsman yeah a lot of unsportsman uh violence happening here (laughs) the phantom is him (laughs) the very man who recruited us and again like maybe to your average book nerd you're like oh moriarty cool but like you said it's like in this context it's like what does that mean yeah it's unearned (laughs) yeah i like the character i like the inclusion there just should have been 15 seconds where they explain why that's important he just by the way he just crashed a car on top of an explosion and he's he's got a little cut above his eye a little headache just a badass cut (laughs) Well, yeah, that'll scar over nicely. <laughs> Let me lick it for you. <laughs> and to nitpick again about those historical details. All right, he's got a car, but how fast could that car really go? Like maybe twenty miles per hour? I, don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'll 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 give that a pass because Nemo created it, and Nemo made the Nautilus. You know, like, true. I mean, there's a certain level of uh, sci-fi suspension of disbelief. What I won't suspend my disbelief. For is the design of the car. It looks like it's right out of the 1940s, you know? Like, it just, that's not, that wasn't the aesthetic of the time. No, 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 no. And, like, it's fine to be speculative about your um, retro futurism and something like this, but it's not, like, that's just ridiculous. There's one of the scrubbing bubbles, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it is a scrubbing bubble. Aww. People people say it looks like a, uh, what's it called? Uh in the sink, you know, the... Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. What the about. fuck is the one? Little... Yeah, 
the thing that that grinds up the food. What garbage disposal? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anyway, people say it looks like a garbage disposal, but to me it's always looked like a scrubbing bubbles guy. <laughs> yeah, I think it looks like a scrubby bubble. It's kind of cute. Okay, I need to blow my nose, so I'm going to mute this real quick. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> that's just for my own note, so I can mute that sound of me blowing my nose, because that's gross. <laughs> Tis the, uh, tis the season. Maybe I'll put a beep over it. Like, beep! <laughs> <laughs> a sensor noise. <laughs> Make him wonder. He <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just destroyed a chunk of Venice by parking it there. This is off topic, but um, another rabbit hole. When were you in Venice? Uh, I think it was on a senior in high school. I've been to Italy twice. Uh, but I've only been to Venice once. It's a I'm, cool city. I'm jealous. One of my favorite things about it was like, uh, like a tour guide kind of led us there. It was a group I was with. And she was like, you can have a map if you want. Like, there's lots of maps you can get. But, like, they're fucking useless. <laughs> like, this, this city is a fucking labyrinth. And if you don't know your way around, you're not going to know your way around with a, with a map. So just follow signs or ask directions. <laughs> That's your best bet. <laughs> yeah, very apt. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's such Twittering. A- you see the twittering? There's the twittering. Twittering ends. Again, and then it ends. That's how Twitter ends, with Nemo playing a disc. Like, a recording disc? Yeah, because you know what records were back then. Come on, Captain! (laughs) Yeah, if you can design that huge-ass underwater castle. She said, Professor. Ready, Professor? Professor James? Who could it be? (laughs) I like this little stylish flashback here. Black and white. So by now, I'm no loyal son of the Empire. In fact, my loyalty is to Mr. M. Oh, I forgot about this. Yes, he's, he snuck into Dorian Gray's and took the painting off the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Everything so far has been misdirection. Sanderson Reed, the assassins of Kenya. <laughs> Your recruitment and mission of the secret conference. A myth. Oh, there we go. So the secret oh. conference isn't real. Lies. Even the league itself. There is no league. Then why are all the paintings? <laughs> yeah, that's a very elaborate hoax. <laughs> yeah. And again, like in the comic, the league is a real thing. It's always been around and it always will be. The first league was called Prospero's Men. Oh. It was Prospero from the Tempest and Caliban and I'm sure a couple others. <laughs> <laughs> so it has an established history already. Well, my favorite volume of the league is uh, Black Dossier. Like I said, it's set in 1940, well, set after 1948. So it's set after the fall of the Big Brother government in okay. England. In the comic, 1984 took place in 1948. Uh-huh. Because okay. that's when, uh, when Orwell wrote it, that was his atten- intention, just to flip the two last two members of the year. So the 1948 became 1984, and now it's future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so in, in the comic... Uh, that takes place in 1948. Um, it's all about the League trying to get this book called The Black Dossier that was um, like taken by the Big Brother government. <clears throat> Big conspiracy theories and all this, but the that volume is littered with historical documents like you can read. Like, there's a play by Shakespeare about Prospero's men or something like that. And 
I can't think, I don't know if that's exactly right. But then there's like a Worcester and Jeeves story where they meet Cthulhu. <laughs> and uh, there's this section, like a 1984 style, um, like propaganda comic from, from the uh, department called Pornsec. <laughs> it's like a little pornographic comic <laughs> about like uh, not getting caught up in your feelings and sticking to your job and all that. <laughs> Something for everyone, really. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then that volume ends with them going into the blazing world and uh, the last chunk is all 3D. It comes with 3D glasses. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like I need to dive further into the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen here. Yeah. There's a lot I'm missing. And one of the really cool things about 1984, um, it implies, or sorry, that 1984 government, it implies that the first M, so the first M is a guy named Bob Cherry, I think. I can't remember if that's a character from something else. But he is, um, fuck, he's uh, originally the character Harry Lime from The Third Man. Okay. Who changes his name to Bob Cherry and then becomes Big Brother. Uh And in the comic, there's a slight implication that Harry Lime may have died in the tunnels and that he was his... Um, persona was taken over by the other guy. Fuck, what's the character's name? Uh, da, 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 da. I'm gonna look up the third man for a second. Talk amongst yourselves. Uh, oh yeah, they're sinking the Nautilus. Um, that classic Dorian Gray line, Bon Voyage. <laughs> bon Voyage. Okay, so it's implied that possibly Harry Lime's um, uh, identity was taken over by Sergeant Payne, who was there in the tunnels at the end of The Third Man. Sergeant Payne was played by Bernard Lee. Bernard Lee played M in the uh, um, James Bond movies. <laughs> it all comes back around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how deep the connections go in the comic. Like, it's not enough just to reference the literary source now. You have to reference the literary sources adaptations that came years after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> There's a lot that goes into that. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, I think it's Century, when in 2009 they show, there's like posters of like modern stuff. One of them is the movie Who Dat Ninja? Who Dat Ninja? Which is from 30 Rock. The show, you know? I remember the, the ca- show. The character Tracy Tracy Morgan, Tracy Morgan's character in that show, has, like, a bunch of fake movies that he worked on called, like, uh, Honky Grandma Be Trippin' was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of the other ones is Who Dat Ninja. <laughs> There's a Who Dat Ninja poster in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Ah, no way. Oh. Yeah, it really is just big. <laughs> Based on the structure like of literature and pop culture, it's a series that can go on forever and yeah. ever. <laughs> so here we see Mr. Hyde using his powers for good. I don't know what he's doing here. For some reason, if he pulls those levers, the water goes out. Like, why didn't they just do that to begin with? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. Very clearly just film normally and then put the water in after the fact. It's like, look at his, his mutton chops. They're not uh, wet. See? <laughs> nice and dry. Dry as shit, man. <laughs> this shot of the Nautilus coming out of the water was in the trailer, but it doesn't have any of that water around it. So it just, like, it looks really cheesy. It's like, <laughs> 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 it looks really dumb. Just a still, placid surface. Yeah. 
Oh, dear. I mean, no, no, the water's there. I mean, the water, like, coming off of it. It doesn't look great in the finished product, but it looked way worse in the uh, trailer. So does he just have a bunch of the same suits? <laughs> Apparently so, yeah. Yeah, when you hulk out, <laughs> you need to carry an extra set of clothes with you just in case. But, I mean, I guess that's what I'd do. Why, why spend the time getting different suits when you know you're going to tear through it? You might as well just get, like, 100 of the same suit. Right. <laughs> And no sense in updating your fashion with the latest trends. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is when they reveal that the Invisible Man stowed away. Oh, that's right. They talk about this in the commentary. You can see Jason Fleming is all, trying so hard not to laugh. He is! <laughs> what is that expression on his face? He said they just had the giggles that day. And there's this part where they're like, Skinner! And he said that originally Shane West turned to him and went like, <laughs> I mean, he just would fucking lose it. So, so every time since then, he was just thinking about that, and they just kept laughing and kept laughing, and so he's just sitting there, like, trying so hard not to giggle. <laughs> Keep it all together. Uh, well, I'm glad that some people had fun making this movie. <laughs> yeah, realistically, it sounds like the only people that just hated it were Sean Connery and the director. <laughs> Which, it's a fucking shame that Stephen Norrington went out with this. Right. Because he's a director that had a really interesting voice in his movies. Blade started the modern comic book blockbuster. True. Um, True. And he directed Blade. Um, his movie that I mentioned a couple weeks ago, um, Death Machine, mm-hmm. was fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. I've, I watched the director's cut of it, the, the full, uh, whatever, widescreen version, um, uncut, and it's fucking amazing. And there's... There are some shockingly good, uh, like, camera movements and scenes. There's this one scene. I actually had to pause it because I was watching it with Bear. I had to pause it and, like, point it out. I said, look at that! <laughs> Where, um, it's a three-shot of uh, William Hootkins, the female lead, whose name I can't remember, and Brad Dourif. And so three of them in silhouette. The focus is on her in the middle. Then it shifts focus to Brad Dourif. Then it shifts focus to William Hootkins. Like, without any cutting. It's just focus, focus shift, and focus shift. And the distance they are, that's really fucking hard to do. <laughs> and I, I was like, oh, I, did you see that? <laughs> and I was like, what? What the fuck? Like, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like he's a guy with a lot of talent who uh, you know, just got burnt out by the system, unfortunately. Yeah. After this, he, he, there was talks of him doing a Crow reboot for years. And that dried up. That went the way of all the other Crow reboots over the last 15 years. Yeah, which might be for the best, I don't know. <laughs> His version sounded the most interesting of all of them, with one huge movie-ruining problem. <laughs> in that. So, um, his version, the Crow, was going to be like, like a gangbanger who gets killed in like a drive-by. Like him and his family, I think, and the Crow comes back. Like, that's an interesting take on it. And, um would have been, like, if nothing else, just look-wise, it would have been interesting to have, like, a black lead in the Crow franchise. All the other Crow actors pretty much look the same. (laughs) So that would have been kind of interesting. Um, But the person that was going to be cast was DMX. (laughs) You're like, no, just literally anyone else. (laughs) Come on, man, get an actor. There's plenty of actors. No offense, DMX, but no. (laughs) Uh, uh, uh. (laughs) (laughs) Like, wrong animal, wrong animal. Oh, dear. 
Um, yeah, I, I didn't stop and think about it, but you're right. Like every crow that's come after the first one, they all make him look like Brandon Lee. And yeah, it's like, stop, exactly. stop, don't do that. Don't do that. I actually just watched the entire crow franchise. Did you really? Uh, all in one day. <laughs> <laughs> Incredibly diminishing returns. How many are there? There's four, There's four. or five? There's okay. four, yeah. First one's great. Second one is good. Um, it's, it's ending kind of lets it down, but the second one has a really cool look. Got a great cast featuring... Tom Jane and Iggy Pop. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, right. Third one is like straight to video Drek. Fourth one is one of the worst things ever made. <laughs> <laughs> Don't waste your time. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, I was just, it's funny that we're talking about this because I was listening to, uh, what is it, The Crow City of Angels? I was listening yeah. to the soundtrack on the way here. Yeah, it's a good soundtrack. Um, and who does the production design for it? Because the production oh. design looks awesome. I have no idea. I it's. <laughs> Someone, well, I'll have to look it up later, but I remember in the sequel, like, the movie looking good and yeah. sounding good. Yeah, exactly. And the second one's fine. I mean, it's just, it's a deviation on the first. It's basically the same story. Um, the, only, the only thing that I will give the second one over all the other movies in the franchise is that it's not his girlfriend or wife that gets killed. It's his son. Oh, I forgot about that. Okay. And, like, that's at least a bit more interesting than, you know, another dead love, or another dead girlfriend you know? <laughs> yeah, girlfriends and wives just don't stand a chance in that franchise yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the third movie in that franchise called salvation is based on a book that i actually tracked down and bought after i watched the movie because it sounds way fucking more interesting than the actual movie the book is about an snm photographer whose boyfriend is murdered and he is accused of it and gets executed. And then he comes back, teams up with his ex-boyfriend's transgender sister, and they solve the murder. Fuck yeah! <laughs> yeah. And that was written in like 1996 or something. Yeah. By an author who at the time was named Poppy Z. Bright. That's but uh, he is transgender and uh, changed his name since then. And I can't remember what his name. I don't know if he's still writing or not. But um, yeah, back then he was credited as Poppy Z. Bright. Oh, there he is. Um, Billy Martin is now. Billy Martin. I guess he professionally still known as Poppy Z. Bright. Yeah, um, and that's just like such a way more interesting take on the crow. You know, uh, right. a gay S and M photographer trying to solve the the murder of his boyfriend hanging out with a, you know, transgender girl. Like, that's that, that's what this franchise should be doing, you know? I, I want to read that. Yeah, so I found a copy of it. It's called I'm gonna read Lazarus it. Heart. Lazarus Heart. Good luck fucking finding it, by the way. <laughs> you want to see how much it goes for on Amazon? I do. Let's see. Crow Lazarus Heart. Well, if you want it on paperback, $864. No way. That's okay, because they have it on hardcover, too. It's $58. Damn, that's a lot cheaper. Because <laughs> I, I saw another copy of it. It was like $864. <laughs> that's a little discrepancy there in price. Oh, mass market paperback is 809 Jesus. Lord. I don't know. I found a used copy on eBay for, I think I paid 12 for it. <laughs> Yeah, there seems, yeah, a little, a little, uh... <laughs> and, I, and I talked the guy down a little, too, because I did a best offer. So I think I got it for even cheaper than he was selling it. 
it's still on there. But anyway, yeah, um, I'm really, I, I just, it just arrived in the mail a few days ago, so I'm excited to dive into Poppy Z. Bright's Crow Lazarus Heart. There's a whole series of Crow novels, actually, um, in the late 90s, early 2000s. That one, so Crow Salvation was based on that novel, but it was uncredited. Um, and then Crow Wicked Prayer was based on another novel in that series, also uncredited. <laughs> okay. I didn't realize there were so many books. Yeah. Crow Wicked Prayer. I didn't either. I would, actually, my friend Bear mentioned it. So I looked into it and was like, I got to read this fucking book. <laughs> I'm kidding. But yeah, Wicked Prayer is fucking terrible. It's like one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Alas. Like they just did not care by that. Well, person. it's and it's it's got an interesting nugget of a story because it's set on like a Native American reservation and but then it like goes into like this weird like satanic gang that's trying to raise the devil mm. and it the bad guy's played by David Boreanaz and then like the leader of that gang is played by Dennis Hopper. But the the hero, like the heroic native character or whatever, is played by uh, Edward Furlong. Oh. <laughs> oh. And yeah, it's one of those, like, you couldn't cast an actual native actor. Uh, yeah. There's, like, six native actors in this fucking movie. Like, you can't cast one of them in the lead. Like, And is what in, like, what, 2003 or 4 or whatever, was Edward Furlong really that big of a get? <laughs> Right. Yeah, where was, was Adam Beach busy? Or did yeah, exactly. <laughs> Christ, he would have been perfect. Yeah. I'm still waiting for that man to get a proper lead role in any Hollywood movie. Like, action, rom-com, I don't care. What, Suicide Squad wasn't good enough for you? No. <laughs> I was, like, so excited that he was in that, and then he's the first poor bastard to die. Here comes Slipknot, the man who can climb anything. <laughs> Except when we kill him prematurely. But I, also, I mean, that's Slipknot's role. He's the first one to go in the comic. I know. Except he gets his arm blown off instead of his head. Yeah. <laughs> Still, it's like, oh. It's like when they announced, uh, well, I know what's going to happen to Slipknot. But yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to, for Adam Beach to have a little bit more of a role in that. See, I didn't know he was playing Slipknot at first. I was just like, oh, this is great. Adam Beach is going to be in it. And then I started to watch it and was like, oh, this is Slipknot. I was like, fuck. He's introduced <laughs> via voiceover. Like, not even voiceover, like ADR, you know. <laughs> like, gets up, oh, there's Slipknot, the man who can climb anything. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> that who, are you, really... who are you talking to? <laughs> that was really important. <laughs> yeah. Why is he needed? It's <laughs> the biggest issue with the Suicide Squad movie. Why is anyone needed in that story? They're fighting supernatural forces. The team was created to kill Superman. And they've got a guy that can throw boomerangs pretty good. Um, a guy that can shoot things pretty good. A woman who wears hot pants and has a baseball bat. <laughs> a guy that can climb things. <laughs> uh, a pretty tough crocodile man. Like, none of those are a fucking threat. Show me one character in Suicide Squad that Superman wouldn't just break their neck like with his finger. <laughs> they don't exist, yeah. No doomsdays in that lot. Yeah. And that's just it. Like, Suicide Squad shouldn't be going up against A-list heroes. Like, they should be doing Black Ops missions. Right. And stealing secret formulas or assassinating um, scientists or whatever. Like, <laughs> exactly. Toppling governments. You know? Yeah. I think I read that the plot of the new movie is they're, like, breaking into, like, an old Nazi, like, cloning facility or something. Oh. And, like, trying to blow it up or something. I can't remember. Hmm. I may have just invented the cloning thing, but I'm pretty sure I read something about that. 
an old Nazi super science facility. <laughs> well, it sounds like, again, Mr. Mr. Gunn has a much better grasp of how to use those characters. Yeah. So now, wh- where are they? <laughs> Phantom's mansion in Mongolia, I think. Mansion lair? Yeah. Oh, he's shaving his face. Now it's clear that he's Moriarty. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Oh, which, Max Ryan. if you stop and you think about, again, the timeline, which might not be that important, but it's like, how long would it take him to grow his beard out like that? Whose beard? Moriarty. Mm. Well, you know, the idea, I know it was a fake, it was fake, oh, but, not, gotcha. but it's like, it's still, it's like, okay, that was a bad disguise. Your Santa Claus beard. He also looks like he's about 30. Moriarty's supposed to be older. Again, like, is this supposed to be supernatural? Like, that man died. Okay, this part right here, there's a whole subplot that was cut out of this movie. But at the beginning, when when he blows up the blimps, there's a doctor he talks to named Carl Draper. And right here, like, there was a subplot about his, Carl Draper's daughter, Eva Draper, like, joining M and, like, betraying her father or something. And she's in a couple scenes. And then she shows up right here and tries to kill Tom Sawyer and he knocks her out but when they were making the movie like this doesn't make any sense <laughs> so they cut her out and then just rotoscoped a guard over her <clears throat> in just a second I don't know after they fight Iron Man here <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've never understood why she was even in and she's in the, the novelization like they retain that subplot but wow. it doesn't it doesn't add anything to the story at all it doesn't have a payoff it doesn't have a any suspense? Like, there's just no reason for this character to be in there. So, well, I wonder why they even bothered. No idea. Maybe it was a remnant of another draft. This thing went through dozens of drafts as well. I'm, I, I wonder at the end if James Robinson even really wrote any of it. <laughs> That's a good question. Would you prefer Professor James Moriarty? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. James Moriarty, the Napoleon of crime. <laughs> that man died at Rockenbach Falls. Okay, right there. That's supposed to be Eva Draper oh. creeping up on him. And you can see that he doesn't really blend in with the background. <laughs> no, he really doesn't. <laughs> he really loves throwing knives. Um, anyway, yeah, so why is he... Why is he Moriarty? Why did he figure it out? Did he die at Reichenbach Falls? Did he come... I don't know. <laughs> One thing I will give Richard Roxburgh in this movie, though, is he goes through, like, four accents. <laughs> and he's pretty good with all of them. Yeah. Like with Moriarty, he's like almost kind of cockney. When he's when he's M, it's very, very uh, what's the word? Like very upper crust British. <laughs> and then when he's uh, the Phantom, he's like, I'm, uh, yeah. What does he says? Like, uh, fuck, I don't know. He, he's like really like me. Look what I mean. Oh, is it that's so frightening? Some type of a uh, fearless leader. Yeah. <laughs> Vaguely, threateningly foreign. Yeah. And I, poor Richard Roxburgh. I mean, I know the guy's had a, a pretty good career, but it's like he was coming up in Hollywood here, and I feel like he just... I mean, again, like you're an actor. You take the roles that are offered, you get a chance to work with some really cool people. But he just got kind of stuck in these villain roles where he was mostly turned up to 11, like yeah. a lot of the time. Like in Van Helsing, like his Dracula is so over the top. And then, of course, Baz Luhrmann being Baz Luhrmann, he's totally over the top. And in Because uh... you can't, can't, can't! <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love that movie, but it has a bad case of ADD. 
I ADD is the only thing I fucking liked about it. I mean, the first time I watched it, in like the first five minutes, I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. And I was like, oh, wait, this is just going to be Romeo and Juliet after that? Like, <sighs> It is the energy that propels it forward. I see more Jim Broadbent just dancing around like a wild man. <laughs> right, right. And he was giving it his all. He was doing his thing. <laughs> uh. So this part right here, when she pins him to the wall, uh, I guess we'll get to it in a minute. Run, Richard! <laughs> Faster! Oh, and then right here, when the Invisible Man attacks, what's his name? Uh, da, 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 fucking Tom Sawyer, right here. Plump. Like Skinner. is like, no, not Skinner. In the novelization, they actually explain who this is. It's Sanderson Reed, the dude that talks to... Yes, they are, Reed's voice. <laughs> but they don't, they don't say that in the actual movie. It's just some other invisible guy. But um, in the novelization, he's like, he's like, it is I, Sanderson Reed. <laughs> like, I'm working with M. I've got the league together, and now I shall be your doom. <laughs> Something like that. Just a little nice piece of exposition That's, for uh, us. <laughs> That may be some paraphrasing there. <laughs> or well paraphrased. <laughs> <laughs> oh, steady, steady. Pretty fucking dumb. Um, <laughs> oh. Clunk. Clunk. I am Iron Man. Yeah. Hey, he's bulletproof, idiot. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, Vertigo, this is one where Marvel did it better. <laughs> yeah. So, another, so League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was not originally a Vertigo comic. It was published by America's Best Comics. Yes. And... I think now it's published by Knockabout Press or Knockaround Press, something like that. Um, but the first two volumes were republished by Vertigo. And I'm sure that just chaps Alan Moore's ass because <laughs> he <laughs> hates DC. He does, doesn't he? They fucked him over. Again, I mean, this is a guy that has been fucked over a lot by, um, by people who purport to uh, support him, you know? Like, like, the studio fucked him over. DC fucked him over with the royalties and rights for Watchmen. Did you ever hear about that? I, I have a tertiary understanding of it. His contract with Watchmen says that DC will own the rights to the characters until it goes out of print. Once the volume goes out of print, he re can gain back all the rights to the characters that he created. And he said he signed it. We're like, perfect, all right. Because at the time, a comic book would come out if it was successful and like, you know, like a single story like that, they'd produce a graphic novel and then it would just go away. He didn't realize that DC had written that just so they could then never take it out of print. So they would re re retain the rights of these characters like in, per in per perpetuity. perpetuity, there you go. <laughs> and that he would never get them back. And so that when he discovered that, he was like, God, like, like all right, good job, you got me. <laughs> Okay, so right there when he gets stabbed, originally the sword came out of his back. And they had to digitally remove it because the censor said it was too gory. Which explains how she stabbed him to the wall. <laughs> right. Right. And this would have been so much better if she if he was looking at his painting, she pulled out the sword, stabbed him through the back, and it went through him and stabbed the painting. Cool. And then killed him, you know? Because, again, the looking at it, like, that's so fucking dumb. <laughs> it is. It is. In the original book, doesn't he dies by, like, slashing the painting, right? Something like and that. And it kills him. Yeah. I think in some adaptations he burns it or whatever. But it's supposed to be, like, their symbiotic relationship. You kill the painting, you kill him. Mm -hmm. And here, it's just, uh, 
a nice Photoshop effect. <laughs> I just think that would have been cool if he got his painting back, he was looking at it and like confronting his own sins and then Mina stabs him and stabs the painting and then he watches it grow young as he dies. That would have been much more poignant, yes. But hey, what do I know, you know? <laughs> Fuck me, right? I mean, come on. According to John Murphy. <laughs> Don Murphy. Probably, I don't say this lightly, probably the single worst person to ever live. <laughs> Worse than Hitler? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen that Office episode when, uh, talking about Toby, you know, the, the HR guy? Mm-hmm. And Michael's like, if I was in a room with Bin Laden, Hitler, and Toby, and had three bullets, I'd shoot Toby three times. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Toby. (laughs) Must be a real asshole. (laughs) Oh, I forgot about this part. Oh, yeah. Wait, here we go. I love this when he goes to slash the evil hide. um, Max Ryan's Dante. Okay. Dante. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on, show it. It's like a fucking... uh, like a Mickey Mouse cartoon effect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There he is. Well, no, that's not what I was talking about. But um, there's some. What other movie is that? There's a, a creature in another movie that looks exactly like this. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head now. Fuck. I don't remember. It's something recent. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> looks exactly like Evil Hide or Evil Er Hide. I don't know. Evil Er Hide. <laughs> it's me on a bad day. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of uh, CGI Rah. mishmash here. It's just the best when Nemo goes up and starts slashing at, at evil, evil big Dante. <laughs> just hacking at him like a Christmas tree. Well, it's like, it's like, <laughs> it, looks, it looks so stupid. It looks like a cartoon. <laughs> just filleting. <laughs> so no, how old was Sean Connery here then? I want to say like 70 something. Well, he just died and he was 90. This was... What, 16 years ago? 17 years ago? Something like that, yeah. Okay, right here. Here he goes. He knocks Hyde back, and then whoosh, right here, right? And he goes faster, faster, faster. Look at, look at the arm. It's not connected to anything. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, do, you remember, um, do you remember Robin Hood Men in Tights? Yeah. Yeah, the blinking. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. See, then I love this, how, like, the huge, roaring monster just, like, sneaks up on Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. It's like Constantine and the uh, uh, quiet cars. <laughs> See, it looks like he just stabbed him in the face. Like, he just stabbed through the hand into Hyde's face. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude. See, dug that, dug that sword in pretty deep. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why would you do that? Not live beyond today. One of the few roles that Connery took after this was uh, he actually voiced James Bond in the video game From Russia With Love. I did not know that. It's a video game adaptation of the movie, and he came back to voice the role. Is it a good game? Have you played it? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's old. It was from, like, 2005, I think. It was pretty good at the time. One of the better Bond games. James Bond video games run the gamut from unplayably bad to the best games ever. (laughs) Fuck, man, Goldeneye? Oh, Jesus. That was just the shit back in the day. (laughs) A lot of fun for the time. Yeah. I spent probably days of my life playing that game. (laughs) And that that was when multiplayer was fun. 
sit in a room with a bunch of people playing the game and not, uh, you know, like getting yelled at and called, <laughs> called, uh, uh, racist slurs by 12 year olds on the internet, you know, oh, <laughs> gracious, man. That's all. I mean, that's all online gaming or multiplayer gaming is now. It's just kids screaming at each other on, uh, on Xbox live or whatever. Dang. I didn't realize that the community was so hardcore. It's not. They think, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a, <laughs> it's like a fucking comment section. <laughs> <laughs> really more bark than bite. I just watched, uh, you know, Hot Ones, Sean Evans. I just watched uh, Brie Larson's episode. Mm -hmm. Um, It was done during quarantine. And he brings up, he says, uh, like, you once said that the only place you like the comments sections of uh, is Reddit. And she goes, well, that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) And she goes, I don't know. I I probably said that like eight years ago. She's like, because I used to love Reddit and I was all over it. And I loved sharing that. (laughs) I loved chatting with people on there. She goes, but that's changed dramatically. Oh, man, that sucks. Poor Brie Larson. But, I mean, that's the nature of comment sections in general. True, true, yeah. Everyone's a critic. Hold on, that's that's too high praise for some. Yeah, I'm no critic of Brie Larson. She's fucking awesome. (laughs) I like her. I am not a huge fan of the Captain Marvel movie. I liked it a lot. One of the things I really liked about it, um, and kind of, again, like contrasting with Birds of Prey, <laughs> is that um, her, like her being special, you know, like the superpowers that she gets, like that, like it literally could be anyone. It's just a twist of fate that she was there. Mm-hmm. And it's not like her fighting against the patriarchy or whatever. It's like, it's her just becoming a hero. You know, it could have that. That's essentially the same story as Captain America, like the underdog fighting, fighting. You know, just being a good person. And there is the kind of uh, feminist, I don't know, take on it because she's a female in a male-dominated um, franchise, I guess. Um, so, like, that's that's going to be a part of it. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I really like the way it was done, and I, I like I like seeing a character whose internal strength is like their defining characteristic, you know, like I think it makes a good hero. It does. It does. I agree. And again, uh, I give that movie props for, like you said, she's not the special, you know, she's just a person who happened to be at this particular time, these circumstances. It was a good Marvel movie. It wasn't a great Marvel movie. I mean, it was still essentially an origin movie, which those are kind of a dime a dozen. (laughs) But I also, I like that it was mostly only origin and flashback. And I don't know. I liked a lot about it. Good, good action movie. Yeah. I won't take that away from her. And I just, I don't know, I like her. I think she was good in the role. And she fits it well. She does. She brings enough, like, wide-eyed optimism, but then, like, mix, mixes it with some world weariness. Mm-hmm. Oh, there goes Sean Connery. Nope. He just died. It's okay, because Af- Africa will not let him die. <laughs> did, we, did we try burying Sean Connery in Africa? Why didn't we, why didn't he get <gasps> taken back there and... Good point. <laughs> it's not too late. <laughs> Hurry. <laughs> I'm sure the first thing that Sean Connery would say if he was brought back to life is like, why did you do that? <laughs> right? Like, I'm 90 years fucking old. Like, I, I lived an amazing life. <laughs> right. Let me rest, you pieces of shit. <laughs> you assholes. Selfish assholes. Yep. 
conscious, not to put too fine a point on it, but like, Africa won't let me die. It's like, I'm sure the hundreds of millions of black people who've lived there yeah, over the exactly. ages are like, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, this guy's so special. <laughs> the white guy that came over here and killed all of our elephants. <laughs> we better make sure he lives. <laughs> Gotta keep him around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the character of Alan Quartermain is plenty problematic. The old H. Ryder Haggard novels, like King Solomon's Vines, whatever. I mean, I'll give him props for actually featuring, you know, black characters that weren't mustache-twirling villains or, yeah. or just dumb sidekicks. Like, there, there were nuanced black characters in those stories, but it was still focused on a white dude just going around shooting stuff. Oh, sure, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Well, you know, then that's, that's pretty much all of Victorian literature. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah, hell, even the story of Dracula has plenty uh, of fear of foreigners just baked into that narrative. (laughs) Watch out! (laughs) Wee bit of xenophobia. So I just rewatched the 1930s Invisible Man movie. Did you? Yeah, it's really fucking good. That's probably my favorite of the Universal Monsters movies. I Um, haven't seen it since I was probably, I don't know, like still in the single digits, like maybe eight or nine. That's good. And uh, obviously this year we had the new Invisible Man movie with Elizabeth Moss directed by Lee Whannell, which was really fucking good. Amen. It's a character, like I said, I don't know if it's because of the League or what, but it's a character that I've always liked. Like, I just love the idea of an evil Invisible Man. It's... shitty. (laughs) (laughs) For those listening, that last scene did look very shitty. (laughs) Trying to lead us into a sequel that will never be... (laughs) Did you ever hear about the original ending? No, what was the original ending? After they bury um, Quartermain, they're met by Campion Bond, who was actually cast in the role, was uh, Jason Isaacs. Oh. Who walks up and says, like, we need your assistance. Like, uh, we found, uh, like, you know, there's basically invaders from Mars. We need the help of the League. And they're like, but the League never existed. He's like, well, it does now. Like, the government, uh, British government has said that you're officially, uh, you know, in service to the Her Majesty, and we need your help. And they're like, well, okay, you know, leading to the sequel. Um, and I read an interview with uh, Jason Isaacs around the time where he said that <clears throat> he was sad that he didn't get to do the role. And he goes, because it had, just had a great line where they ask who I am, and I say, uh, the name's Bond, Campion Bond. <laughs> <laughs> that would make the whole thing worth it. Yeah. He doesn't look anything like Campion Bond, but no. Campion Bond's a big fat shit with a goatee. Yeah. He just looks sleazy. <laughs> he does. But, you know, Jason Isaac, he's one of those, he turns up in a movie and you're like, oh, there you are. Good he's to see you. He's a goddamn treasure. I love that guy. He's, he's cool. First time I ever saw him in a movie was uh, Event Horizon when I was, That's right. I was probably in sixth or seventh grade. And I remember watching it and being like, fuck, he's cool. <laughs> he is cool. Of course, singing an African dialect. <laughs> Some just killer subtitles in this flick. Indeed. He was, uh, oh, a stupid movie with Charlize Theron and Keanu Reeves. Um, I can't even remember the name of it. It was it was just so forgettable. Um, oh, Sweet November. Oh, never seen it. Well, <laughs> you don't need to. But anyway, Jason Isaac is in it, and he plays her, of course, gay cross-dressing neighbor, and the whole movie should have been about him because he's fantastic. <laughs> I really liked him on uh, Star Trek Discovery. 
Oh, who did he play in that again? He was the captain. That's right. Can't remember the captain's name, but yeah, he was really good in that. There's, I... big, nice, there's a nice big like reveal halfway into the series about who he really is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I have such a hard time keeping all of my Star Trek straight, honestly. Yeah. But I would watch him in that. <laughs> he was the uh, the most powerful thing I felt about uh, Braveheart too, the Patriot. <laughs> the Patriot. Yeah. You know there actually is a Braveheart sequel. No, there is not. Starring um, Angus McFadden, is that him? The that because you know I mean everyone knows Braveheart, but do you know that Braveheart doesn't refer to William Wallace? No, it's Robert the Bruce. Yeah, isn't it? right. Yeah, exactly. Robert the Bruce. So Robert the Bruce is played by Matthew McFadden. Matthew McFadden and Angus McFadden. Fuck, too many McFadens. <laughs> Yeah, so Robert the Bruce is played by Angus McFadden in Braveheart. That guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had a movie that just came out this last year called Robert the Bruce. Oh, that's kind of cool. It's essentially a sequel to Braveheart. I wonder <laughs> if it's any good. I have no, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> One hopes, but... Hey, Jared Harris is in it. Jared Harris. Remind me. Jared Harris, man. Jared oh, yeah, okay, Harris. yes, yes. Pardon me, pardon me. Fucking, uh, what's his name? Uh, the son of Richard Harris. No, that makes sense. I didn't know that, but I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, Jared Harris was also Moriarty <laughs> in uh, Sherlock Holmes' A Game of oh, Shadows. He was. He was. I loved him in that. And then he played Sherlock Holmes in, uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> I, was like, oh. I was just trying to casually disprove your theory. <laughs> I don't know. He's, hey, he may have played Sherlock Holmes at some point. Who knows? I can't remember the name of the character he played in uh, Mad Men, but I loved him in that oh, show. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to Google real quick. Who has played Sherlock Holmes? Oops. <laughs> I said Holes. <laughs> Sherlock Holes. That's a totally different movie. That is indeed. Ooh. And Moriarty. List of actors, come on. No, I want both, damn you. Uh, Many actors who played Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Oh, Moriarty. Here we Wait, go. Or is that Dr. Watson? Yeah, it's Dr. Oh, Watson. Shoot. You fuckers. Darn it. Hey, there we go. Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. <gasps> Best of the bunch. <laughs> that was such a horrible movie. I did not see it. You're not missing much. Hey, the end credits are still going, just for anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> No, I see. I still enjoy this movie, *Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen*. I did a, I did a total turnaround on it a few years ago. It's like I said, I fucking hated it when when it first came out. I was just angry. I actually got like a big. I was. Uh, this was summer two thousand three. I was in a production of *Annie Get Your Gun*. This huge cast, and like I, all my friends in the cast was like, "Let's go see the movie, guys!" And like we went in there. I'm like, I. So, you know, it's probably not going to be any good. <laughs> like, I just, I have to see it, and I need you all here with me. <laughs> but uh, I don't feel like it's going to be any good. <laughs> just be supportive of me right now. <laughs> but one of the best things about it, too, when this came out, and Sean Connery was forced to, like, at gunpoint to do uh, press for this. Oh, no. Right before the movie, like, the day the movie came out, he was on, like, the Today Show or something. Mm -hmm. And they asked him, like, ooh, so you think there's going to be a sequel? Ooh, what do you think? And he was like, I don't know, there might be a sequel, but I'm not going to be in it because I die at the end. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, and I'm 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, know, maybe there's a sequel, but I'm not going to be in it because uh, the lead actor gets killed off. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm done with this shit. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yes, it's, well, I, it's, we're kind of on opposite ends of the pole here because when this movie first came, came out, I was like, oh, this is a blast. I love yeah. it. It's a lot of fun. And so many years later, again, I still enjoy it, but I'm like, oh, wow. It's nowhere near as good as 18-year-old me thought it was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this, I mean, this is objectively not really a good movie. It's just dumb fun. You know? Yes. Everyone needs some dumb fun. It's either this or Transformers. You know? Right, right. Speaking of, Transformers, also produced by goddamn Don Murphy. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> There's an evil plot. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so I would probably call this a slow. I would, too. I think that's a... A perfectly fine summation. It's middle of the road. Again, I enjoy it, but it's not good. It, you know, sometimes, sometimes you just need to eat a greasy, shitty cheeseburger. Exactly. Like, <laughs> this is the movie that you can totally turn on, get up to make popcorn while it's still playing, come back, and you'll be fine. I think there's like the sound of like chanting or thunder or something right here, like implying that the good old Quarterman's gonna come back swinging. The the. Uh... Tribal medicine man is yeah. still at it. The racist caricature is still <laughs> dancing a jig in the background. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, end of the show time. It's definitely a vertigo, slow. <laughs> it's a vertislow. Um, like and subscribe. Share this podcast with all of your idiot friends. <laughs> <laughs> all of your lovely relations. <laughs> Tell us if you have any suggestions about what we should read or watch next. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter at Vertigo Voices. I'm let you say the other one. <laughs> and Instagram, just Vertigo Voices. Yeah. And email us at vertigovoices at gmail.com, which still sounds weird to say. There's too many ats in that sentence. I don't <laughs> like it. Um, special thanks to whoever wrote the th- music. For the beginning of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen DVD menu, because uh, that's our theme music now. We did it. We did. It's extraordinary. <laughs> extraordinary gentlemen, indeed. Okay, uh, yeah, go read the comic. It's way better than this. Indeed. Um, it's a big vertigo. <laughs> Absolutely. Keep listening. Keep reading. Keep watching. Uh, keep watching Captain Nemo do kick flips and kung fu. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.